Thanks for joining us on our walk through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In this series, we'll see many cultural similarities between the Pacific Northwest and ancient Greece. In our final mini-series in 1 Corinthians, Gospel-Formed Discipleship, Paul discusses the shape of Sunday services, how we use our spiritual gifts, and how all of us can share God's love through evangelism. We'll be challenged and grown by God's Word, so join us Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. For more information, please visit doxa-church.com. Well, good morning, Doxa. Uh, Actually, I should say aloha. Um, My wife is from Oahu, and Oahu is my happy place. I confess that. Um, But seriously, by, by God's grace... And by God's grace alone, and I mean that, I am I'm one of your non-staff elders. I get a chance to come up and preach the word of God, and that is just amazing to me. This moment is not lost on me at all. Like my wife was reading the word of God over you, and then I get to preach, and that's God's grace in my life, absolutely 100%. So first thing I want to do is I'll pray. Let's pray to the one who makes that all possible. Lord, <laughs> Father, we, we, we need you right now, God. I need you right now. Lord, I pray that you would restore our awe of who you are, God, because you are an amazing God, doing amazing things, and you love us, God. I pray, Lord, that everyone here is encouraged by you and you alone. Lord, you know everybody sitting here right now. You know them individually. You know their names. You know their trials, their struggles, their joys, and their pains. And you are in every single detail, Lord. That is the God that we know, Lord. Not only are you a God that's on a throne in heaven, but you are a God that is with us and in us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um. So my family should be coming up here. There's an introduction to the LaFontaine family. Uh, that's, a, that's God's grace in my life right there for sure. Uh, starting with my wife, Janice, you just met her. Um, uh, she is my sweetheart and she is a sweetheart for sure. <laughs> she's amazing. She loves Jesus. And I'll tell you that she's got the best laugh ever. And it's typically at my expense, but uh, <laughs> she's, she's my best friend, absolutely. So it's very good. Uh, <laughs> and then there's Hope. Hope is here. Um, my daughter, Hope, she's 21 years old. She's passionate. She's creative. I'm, I'm really proud of her. I'm, I'm very proud of you. You're beautiful. I love you. And then there's Keikoa. He is eight years old. Um, he loves basketball. He loves to sing and dance. He's that kind of kid. He's creative and he's, and he's athletic. He's got a really sensitive heart. And then I love him. And then Keanu, he's my little bulldog. You can see him down there, the shortest guy. He's funny. Um, his biggest dream is to be a goalie. He wants to be a, a goalie in, in, in the MLS for the Sounders, right? And the funny thing is, when you kick the ball to him, I go to kick the ball with him, right? And when you kick it to him, you're like, kick, you know? And he won't kick it back. He dives on it. <laughs> he just dives on it. And I'm like, dude, you got to kick it back. It's kind of funny, (laughs) but he's an awesome kid. I love that kid. Uh, We live in Redmond, Washington, about Education Hill. Uh, I'm a pastor of the Central Region with Pastor Jeff and Pastor Alex, and we just love serving with you guys. Um, A little bit about me, though. Um, I grew up in Seattle since 1967. Um, Yes, 1967. I can't believe it. You can do the math on that one. Um, I grew up on Queen Anne Hill. And I had a huge, loving, amazing family. And it was pretty culturally mixed. It was a good mix. Uh, my, 
My mom is Italian, Swedish, so a huge Italian Christmases and holidays. My dad was, I remember my dad, my, uh, my grandpa was uh, the Swede of the family. He was the president of the Swedish club, which was pretty cool on Queen Anne Hill. So we spent a lot of time at the Swedish club, Italian family. And then my dad, he's a Native American. He's a full blood Chippewa Indian. Um, so I have this huge Native American family that it is just a, an amazing family. It was pretty cool growing up with those, with that kind of diversity in our family. Um, I've worked about 20 years now in the fire service, worked about 12 years on a fire engine, and then I just went to the fire marshal's office about six or seven years ago. I'm actually the fire marshal now, which is crazy for me. Um, More of God's grace in my life, seriously. Um, But that job has really changed my perspective on this book, for sure. The urgency of the gospel, it's different when you see life and death just played out like every day, every day you go to work, it's changed my life. Um, I've also been a believer in Jesus for about 32 years. It's been a long time, 32 years. And I say believer on purpose because I didn't start following Jesus until about 13 years ago. And I was going through some kind of crazy chaos, painful time in my life. And I just heard God say, you know, I've had, all, I've had plenty of pain in my life, right? But this was the first time I heard God say, like, are you done yet? I knew what he meant. He was like saying, are you done doing it your way, right? Are you done placing your hope in things that, that shouldn't have your hope? And I'm like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And he's been slowly, he's slowly been growing me patient and gentle in my life. But I get fired up about some stuff. I think it's the firefighter in me. <laughs> um, the things that fire me up, I'll tell you one thing, is what we're gonna talk about today. And it's God's undeserved grace in my life, in our life. Like we fight the spiritual battle every single day by remembering that we don't deserve God's mercy. It's all grace. And that enables us to fight the battle against bitterness and unforgiveness. The gospel gets twisted when we start believing that apart from Jesus and his perfect works that we deserve our rights and then we start to feel entitled. I think that's a big part of Paul's heart as he writes to the Corinthians about freedom and rights. So let's get started. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Uh, We're gonna start, we're gonna read verses uh, one through 14. Um, If you don't have a Bible, open your phone app. I still don't get that, but Bible, <laughs> Bible app is fine. Um, and I want to boil this down into one, one big idea that you guys can go home with. Just one big idea is that we have freedom in Christ and we use our freedom like Christ. It's important. I want to say it again. We have freedom in Christ and we use our freedom like Christ. I'm going to break this down into three, three parts, okay? And the first part is Paul doesn't deserve his rights and neither do we. So in chapter nine, he's on the topic of a believer's freedom and rights and he brings up a specific situation where he himself lays down his own rights for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. And he also knows there's gonna be some objections to his stance. So then he defends his authority as an apostle. And he starts by asking some rhetorical questions. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? And I want to stop here for a while and I want to talk about Paul's freedom because Paul asks, am I not free? 
I think Paul's view on freedom, he's, it's critical to Paul's heart in this letter to the Corinthians and how he, Paul, or how they, the Corinthians, or we, Doxa Church, how we exercise our rights. What does Paul know about freedom anyways? If there is anyone in the Bible that knows freedom, someone I think we should pay attention to, it's Paul. Paul's entire life, he looked to his good works to make him righteous. And he had plenty to point to, didn't he? And part of the reason he had a huge issue with Jesus and the followers of Jesus was because they accepted the unclean, the sinners, the unrighteous. People were getting mercy that didn't deserve it, and he did not like that. Paul's works made him a slave to performance, and it made him a slave to his own pride. So think about this. Saul of Tarsus, walking on the road to Damascus, right? You've heard this story before in the Bible, right? Saul of Tarsus, he's walking on the road to Damascus. He's full of hatred, right? He hates Jesus. He hates Jesus. And he really, really hates Jesus' followers. He hates the fact that they say they are free from the law that he holds to. He hates that they say that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, thank goodness Jesus is dead, in fact, Saul was just at the stoning of Stephen. Garments were laid at his feet, symbolizing his leadership in the persecution. He was the primary leader of the persecution in Jerusalem, and the Bible says that on that day arose a great persecution of the church led by Saul himself. Not only was he full of hatred towards Jesus and his followers while he was walking on that road, he was full of himself. He was Jew among Jews. He knew his Bible front to back and back to front. You know anybody like that? Because of his good works, Saul thinks he knows God better than anyone. He thinks that his good works are pleasing and impressive to God. So here's Saul, right? He's growing in stature. He's walking on the road. He's full of pride, full of hatred, full of himself. And then bam, he meets Jesus, like blinding light, blinding light. Imagine what must have been going through his mind at that point. The second Jesus reveals himself to Saul, Saul in that moment now knows that he was wrong. He realizes his religion is worthless. In fact, it led him to be an enemy of God. He now knows Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Righteous One, the Creator of the universe, the Holy Son of God, whose Father sits on a throne in heaven. Saul must have been thinking, man, he's about to die and suffer the wrath of God. He has been persecuting, persecuting the followers of Jesus. The Bible says he was ravaging the church, entering house to house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Murder, hatred, arrogance. I mean, it would seem in this moment, right in this moment, he's just waiting to be crushed and killed by Jesus. And he's gotta be thinking, please, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Kind of like a blind beggar. I mean, Jesus has the right to give him wrath, doesn't he? But what does Jesus do? Think about that. Answer that in your head. What does Jesus do? He has total mercy on Saul. He forgives him. 
He gives them absolute, total, undeserved grace and mercy. He gives Saul freedom. And not only that, he follows it up with total undeserved love. He loves Saul. Imagine that. Jesus loves his persecutor. It's amazing. And Saul now understands the cross and the true character of God. And then Jesus blinds him, sends him to Damascus, and after three days, like three days in the tomb, right? Do you think that is lost on Saul? Jesus restores his sight after three days. How powerful do you think that was for Saul of Tarsus when he regained his sight? He can now see, and I don't just mean physically. He has been radically changed. God has opened his eyes to his sin and God's mercy. Has God opened your eyes? Has he shown you your sin and what you really deserve? Has he opened your your eyes to his mercy on your life? You see, this frees Paul up to live a new life, to sing a new song, one for Jesus and not against. And now, writing this letter to the Corinthians, he uses his Gentile name. He is Paul. Did you know the name Paul means small or humble or little? Saul, that's his Jewish name. Uh, That represented all of his religious works. He uses the name Paul when he goes on mission to the Gentiles because he no longer puts confidence in his flesh. So here's Paul now, right? Here's Paul, right? He's in this vertical relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, right? He's just, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Like he's in awe, but he's humble, right? He's just, thank you, thank you. How can he stop saying thank you? He's humbled. Lord, you freed me from your wrath. You could have killed me, but you didn't. You gave me mercy. I no longer need to earn your love. Your freedom is free and you love me, Jesus. Right? And this relationship, this relationship informs everything he does from this point. And he is so grateful and thankful and humbled. And then Jesus, Jesus sends him out to preach the good news to plant the gospel, and to love the people, right? Love the people. This is the horizontal relationship where he steps into relationship with people and where he exercises his freedom and his rights. In the Christian walk, these two relationships, this vertical relationship and this horizontal relationship, they intersect, they converge, right? And I like this, like it goes right through your heart. It goes vertical to horizontal. When you get it backwards, you distort the gospel. It becomes warped. You see, in this relationship, the vertical one, Jesus saved Paul from the wrath of God. So in this relationship, the horizontal, Paul frees up people from his wrath. In this relationship, Jesus does not make Paul earn his love. So in this relationship, Paul does not make people earn his love. And in this relationship, Jesus does not hold a debt over Paul's head. So in this relationship, Paul does not hold a debt over people. And his heart for the Corinthians comes from this. He is trying to compel the Corinthians to love each other out of this undeserved mercy that they have received from God that empowers them to reflect God's character. And that's true for us, Doxa. This is very important. 
We don't demand our rights. We receive them. If we believe we've earned our rights, we feel entitled. But if we believe we've been given what we don't deserve and could never earn, then we feel blessed and we see everything as a gift and not as a payment. Does that make sense? It's a great lesson because I think we can easily, we easily get stuck in this horizontal relationship. We just get stuck here with our freedom and our rights and with people. And we'll say things like, I know I say this all the time. I say, you know, I know that I don't deserve God's love. I say that, I say it a lot. But really, in my head, it's, it's a sliding scale. Like zero is you really don't deserve God's love, like maybe Hitler, I don't know who you want to put there. And then really, in the 10 is like, you really deserve God's love. I don't think it's somebody who really deserves it. Jesus, I guess, right? And I'm about a six. I'm pretty good. I'm not bad. On a really good day, I might be a seven. On a bad day, I might be a five, but I'm not horrible, right? You guys are maybe fours. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that guy over there, you know, he offended me last week. So he's about a two. You know, she's really godly, you know. Uh, I've seen her pray. Man, she's godly. She's an eight or a nine, right? But I'm telling you, I arrogantly play that out in my heart and I don't want to do that. I hate that. That's how evil my heart can be. And I tell you, Doxa, that is what divides churches. And the problem is it starts to skew your perspective. You forget about the vertical. People fail you because we're sinners, we can't really give you anything that valuable. We don't meet your expectations. And then you start to hear things in your head like, nobody gets me. Nobody can relate. Am I the only one who gets it? I'm not connecting with anybody. No one is pursuing me. This is a sure sign you are living out of the horizontal. You've forgotten. You've forgotten that Jesus met you on your proverbial road to Damascus where he could have given you his wrath, but instead he chose to save you from it. That you were once blind, but now you see that Jesus loves you and pursues you and forgives you. You forget it. And slowly and gradually, your freedom becomes slavery. And instead of reflecting God's generosity to each other, we start reflecting each other back to each other and we become stingy with our mercy, stingy with our grace, stingy with our patience, stingy with our time, stingy with our talents, and stingy with our money. Doxa, God gave us mercy so that we would go show the world what he is like, so that we give each other and the world mercy because he is merciful, amen? You will hear us say it, Doxa. We say this. Live your life like it demands a gospel explanation. The world should be asking us, Doxa, why do we give mercy to people who don't deserve it? Why do we accept the sinners, the unreligious, the unrighteous? Why are we so generous? Let me ask this. How many of you, like me, if Jesus revealed himself to you right this very second, like, bam, these bright lights, bam, there's Jesus. Right now, seriously, how many of you would be afraid for your life? Seriously, enter that moment Saul had with Jesus, but pretend it's you. Like, I know that I'm saved, but if I'm honest, I might have some doubts. Like, my sham of a life might finally be revealed 
Like I deserve his wrath. I deserve death. And I know for I know for a fact that I don't walk the walk very well. I'm not very patient with my kids or merciful with a coworker or generous with the poor. I don't die to myself for my wife regularly. I might think to myself, did I do enough? I'd probably be thinking, this is it. I'm about to suffer the wrath of, wrath of God. Let me just sit there for a few seconds in the guilt and the shame. It's unbearable, isn't it? It is unbearable. The good news, Doxa, the good news is Jesus gives you mercy instead of wrath, just like he did for Saul. Jesus gave up his rights as the son of God, as the son of God, so that we would be saved and be called sons and daughters. Jesus paid it all for you, amen? He did the work so you would not have to. He earned it so you don't have to. It's crazy, it's crazy. And even as professing Christians, we need his mercies every single day. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. I think that's, that's absolutely true. We need his mercy every single morning and that is freedom, amen? There's nothing on this earth that is more valuable than your freedom in Jesus. There's nothing. Paul knows this. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to gain it. Think of it in financial terms, right? Let's say you're walking down the street and Bill Gates bumps into you and for no reason at all hands you a billion dollars. Oh, think about it, a billion dollars. How much is a billion dollars? I don't fill the stage or not. I don't know. It's a lot of money. It's not worth as much as your freedom in Christ. It's not. It's not even close. I read an article last week um, about Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. I guess she got $36 billion. Um, and she's gonna give half to charity, which is awesome. That's generous. That's $18 billion to charity. That's pretty cool. It's not as valuable as your freedom in Christ. It's not even close. But do you believe that? Paul does. All right, on to my second part. Paul has rights, so do we. So Paul is starting to address his own rights and his authority, but I wanna give a little bit of context of what's going on here. You see, in Corinth, those who could speak made the most money. In, in many cases, um, the more entertaining the speaker was, the more money they would make. And there was a lot of speakers in Corinth back then. And they weren't speaking out of love for God and love for people. They were saying, they were saying what the people wanted them to say in order to make a better living. They, wanted, they were kind of like doing it for the money, you know? And Paul wants uh, the, the church of, of Corinth to know that he's not like them. He wants to distance himself from them. Paul wants it to be clear that I am going to proclaim what God wants me to say. If I use my right to get paid to do it, some of you, you might think that I'm doing the same thing as everyone else, and I'm not. I'm doing this because I love God and I love you. Therefore, I will not use my right to get paid. I don't want anyone to think I'm mainly doing this for the money. So Paul is removing the obstacle to the gospel. He's laying down his right to make a living from the church. See, Paul doesn't want anything to, present, to prevent them from taking the message seriously. But he goes on to write that he still has the right to do it. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? 
Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Paul is saying three things here. He's saying, I have the right to eat just like everyone else, eat and drink. He's saying, I can take along a believing wife just like any other apostle. And that's referring to, there are a lot of, of traveling teachers and preachers back then that the church would support. And if they brought along a believing wife or their wife, the church would support them too. And that was actually a financial burden on a church. The third thing he's saying is, I too, I, I have the right to not have to work for a living. Paul is saying that like, he deserves support from the church. Like if anyone does, it's Paul. He put a ton of work into the church in Corinth. And he expands on this right to be supported with references that I believe are absolutely intentional. He goes on to say in verse seven, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? I mean, most would say, yeah, obviously a soldier doesn't pay his own way. I know a ton of soldiers. I'm in the fire service. Lots of soldiers in the fire service. But the government, right? The government pays for the soldier uniforms, weapons, food, training, housing, and travel, right? That's obvious. And Paul goes on to say a vineyard planter should get some of the fruit from the harvest and a flock tender or the shepherds should get some of the milk. And I think they're very specific references for Paul because... He is a soldier for Christ. He fights the spiritual battle every day. And he plants the gospel. He's a planter. And he shepherds the flock. And Paul is saying, he and people who deserve this, sorry, he and people who do this deserve support from the church. It gives people who do it the freedom to do it for a living. And then he goes on to say in the next few verses, it's not just me saying it, it's God himself who says it. We don't have time to go into every single verse that Paul uses, but in verse eight, he uses a verse from Deuteronomy 5, total Old Testament, right? God says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. He's saying, if God cares about the ox, how much more does he care for the plowman? And that the plowman should plow in hope of sharing in the crop or the harvest. And in this case, Paul is the plowman. And in verses 13 and 14, he follows it up with an example of those employed by the temple service getting a share of the food and of the offering. He goes on to say, in the same way, in the same way. So he's saying today, God commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And in Paul's view, in Paul's view, these people are employed, they're employed by God himself for the benefit of his people. The people that sow a spiritual harvest should be supported by the material blessings of God's people. And the entire point, this is important, the entire point is to sow spiritual things, to sow eternal things. Docs, that is what is happening right here. I want to take a, a small pit stop. I go on rabbit trails. I try to make, not to make it too long. <laughs> but I want to ask you this. How do you view spiritual things and material things. Do you tend to elevate one over the other? I know I have a tendency to relate or to elevate my material harvest over God's spiritual harvest. Um, you know, we live on the east side. It's pretty easy to do. There's a lot of stuff to buy around here. Um, but my material harvest, it sometimes controls me. 
I separate the two. And I forget that he is Lord of both. I forget that my financial decisions have eternal repercussions. And this verse, like when I came to this verse when I was getting ready for this sermon, I'm like, my goodness, it's so good. Paul says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So let me ask you this. Who came here because they want to be part of God's spiritual harvest? Seriously, why did you come here? Who wants to participate in building God's kingdom? Do you believe your financial decisions have eternal repercussions? Doxa, I want to encourage you. Like you are a generous people. You are reaping material blessings from the Lord that you are turning around and giving to our church family so that people can be freed up to make a living from the gospel. We are seeing an amazing spiritual harvest because of it. It's totally true. It's totally true. I want to encourage you and I want to thank you. You know, I know many of you don't get a full picture of all that God is doing here at Doxa and all that he's done, but I want to say that a lot of it is right here, right now, right in front of us. There are lives that have been changed by Jesus in this room right now, in this church family. There are legacies in here that have been changed by Jesus because of your giving. It's true. So seriously, raise your hand right now. I want you to do it. Raise your hand right now if Jesus has changed your life in this church family. Raise your hand. And look around you. Just look at all the hands. Okay, now raise your other hand. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to get the people who don't raise their hands ever. Uh, <laughs> Docs, uh, seriously, uh, you, you free people up to live their entire lives for the gospel, to sow the spiritual harvest. That is amazing. And I want us, Doxa, to recognize together that there is so much more to come. How do I know that? How do I know? How do we know that? Because we have a generous God. He is not done, amen? I want to take a, a small moment to recognize the Doxa staff that your financial support frees up to make a living from the gospel. I think we've got a slide here. Yeah, those people are awesome. I love them. Um, I want you to know that just like Paul, our staff are not doing it for the money either. They're doing what they do because they love God and they love you and that is true. They love to labor for our church and they work hard at it. I want to be clear, this doesn't make them more godly. That's completely anti-my sermon right now. Um, but, but, But they love you and they love God and they're not just doing it for the money. They sow a spiritual harvest. You got Vanessa, Justin, Jessica, Liz, Adam, Amy, Allison, Grace, Lauren, Sarah, Jenna, and Taylor. Can we give them a little hand? Seriously. We love you guys. We also have four amazing staff elders, very good friends of mine. I love them very much. They work tirelessly for the gospel, and I've had a chance to get to, 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 get to know them and just learn from them. Um, Pastor Donald, Pastor Tim, Pastor Alex, Pastor, Pastor Jeff. Um, we are so blessed to have them. Seriously, we're very blessed to have them. And it's all because you, you free them up to make a living from the gospel. I also want to recognize those of you who labor for free. There's lots of us. All you servants who serve and lead and counsel and give, it is a big deal. Doxa, we do this together as one church, one body, 
staff, non-staff, it does not matter. We are all servants of Jesus and we believe the spiritual harvest is the most important thing here on earth. I want you to think of it like this. Remember those credit card commercials that Master, I think it was MasterCard. It's like uh, Disney tickets, $400, I don't know. I'm making it up. Uh, hotel, $3,000. Airfare, $2,000. Family memories, priceless. Apply that to our family, to the material and the spiritual. You remember all those people that just raised their hands? How much is that worth to you? What is your eternal destiny worth? What is a soul worth? If you were to put a price tag on your life, what would it be? Well, to your heavenly father, it's priceless. It's priceless. It was worth the son, his son, Jesus. Docs, by giving material things, we together are sowing eternal things. All right, off my rabbit trail, back on the main trail. Paul has rights. Paul is saying the spiritual sowers have the right to be materially supported by the church, which means Paul has the right. But, part three. Exercise your rights from a posture of humility and love. See, Paul chooses to exercise his rights like Jesus does, out of this vertical relationship one where Paul dies to himself. Paul writes in verse 12, the second half, he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. See, up until now, Paul is saying he has the right to get support from the church, right? He is saying, I'm an apostle. I'm a soldier. I planted this church. I tend the flock. I have seen Jesus and I labor for you. I have rights. And just think about all the hard work that Paul puts into the church. Do you think that he deserves it? I mean, he planted the church. But Paul, he never, he never, ever forgets this relationship. It's just him and God. God, I deserved wrath and you gave me mercy and grace instead because you, you are generous you gave me sight and now I see. Right? And Paul is saying that although I deserve to be paid, I will not make use of this right. I'm laying down my rights. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. I want to point you to something Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. It's some of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that life, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. See, Paul knows there could be people that have issues with him taking money from the church, and he does not want to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. 
So he lays down his rights. He dies to himself, just like his Savior did for him. Instead, in this case, Paul goes and gets a job himself. He's actually a tent maker. Did you know that? Paul made tents, and he would get a job when he would come into town to, to, to plant a church, get a job as a tent maker, and then he would keep it. He'd keep it even when the church was established. And he does it because he knows that although freedom gives him his rights, he does not have the right to freedom. Does that make sense? He was a blind man that received sight when he didn't deserve it, so he's humble. So what do we do with all of this? I don't know how many times in my life that I have heard, Derek, you deserve it. You have the right, Derek. You have the right to be upset. You have the right to be hurt. You have the right to be heard. You have the right to be offended. Derek, you deserve more money. You deserve more credit. And you know what? In most cases, or in many cases, they're right. I do have the right. I do deserve it, but I can't. I cannot forget. I can't forget this. I can't forget this vertical relationship. Lord, you love me. Jesus, you gave me mercy. I did not deserve. You laid down your rights for me. When people were yelling at you to prove to them that you were God, to defend yourself, beating you in the process, you stayed silent for me. And then they hung you on a cross and they continued to mock you and then you died to yourself, Lord that I could be free. And I am so humbled by that. Doxa, we're meant to reflect the character of God to the world. How do we do that? God freed you from his wrath, so free people from your wrath. God didn't make you earn his love or favor. Don't make people earn yours. God didn't hold a debt over your head that you need to repay. Don't hold a debt over others. Docs, I love you. I know what I'm saying almost seems impossible. I know there are complex stories out there. I know there's hurts and pains. But I need to encourage you that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Do you believe that? Search the spirit. Search your heart. Pray, pray and keep praying that the Spirit gives you a heart of mercy and gentleness to those who don't deserve it, just like Jesus did for you and does to everyone else. If you're not a a believer in Jesus yet, um, I think you can agree. The world is at war. There's not a lot of mercy and grace going around right now. No one is laying down their rights seems like fighting is at an all-time high. In fact, you may be someone who refuses to lay down your rights. I'm encouraging right now, seek the one who did and receive free grace so you can be empowered by the Spirit to spread hope and love to a broken world. Doxa, Jesus laid down all of his rights as the Son of God He did it out of an immense love for us. He freed us and calls us to follow him, to follow him and do the same. To be a generous people willing to lay down our rights so that we would not put an obstacle in the way of the gospel so that more people could be free.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, that you did lay down your rights. Lord, thank you for your love and your mercy on our lives, God, that we were once blind and now we see, God. Thank you for just your immense love and what you did for us, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that we are a people that show mercy, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.